The reading today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I always like it when the scriptures organize things well for me. Sometimes Paul does that, and you're looking at it right there. So there's a, set of, there's a series of messages I'm doing on the eyes of our, our hearts being enlightened. And there's three things that are itemized. The hope to which we are called, the riches of his glorious inheritance amongst the saints, and his great power, which is at work. And, we'll, and we're going to look at each one. Each one. So tonight, it's, it's hope. It's hope. And um, I didn't want to preach on it. But let's, let, let's, get to, let's get to my petulant attitude in a second. Let's get to that. But my, I went to share with my son. My son Alex is, is um, getting his doctorate in anthropology at the University of California, Davis campus. UC Davis. And, uh, and one of the great things about working for UC Davis, and you know this, and he discovered this, is that it, you, when you're a TA, when you're a TA working in that school system, uh, because they have such a big, uh, big school student body and a rel- relatively small faculty, he teaches all the time. He's, he, and he's got friends who went on to do their doctoral work, and they never get to teach, they never get this kind of opportunity. And he has been lecturing now for years, <laughs> just doing, his, doing the teacher's lectures. And, and, and the intro to the anthropology class is an interesting one. The intro to anthropology class is pretty hostile to Christianity, by the way. But it's a pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting project that they begin with. And the project that they begin with is to deconstruct, to destroy, to kind of break down the way students naively view their culture. Because a lot of us think about our culture uncritically. It's something we receive or grow up in naturally. And we drink from it and, and, and imbibe it and take it in deep, right? But without ever really being critical of it, without really thinking about, well, what does it mean? Is it true what our culture thinks? And one of the things that Alex said over the years, when he would pick a very neutral thing to talk about, not even too explosive, but what he would do is he'd begin with the concept of progress. Just the idea that, this idea that progress is moving and marching to, to an ultimate goal of fulfillment and greatness and prosperity or what have you, right? But the idea of a relentless drive towards progress. He said, Daddy, it was really funny. He told me just this week. He says, funny, I... Uh, you know, as I was teaching, I remember when I first started, that was always a fight. They were always, the students would always kind of put up their dukes against me, and, and they would just, they would fight the site, they would, they would resist it. They, they would think, they, they would find that, that criticism uh, of, of American culture was just kind of, they, they, they wanted, they loved that. They loved that idea, I think. And it was something cherished, something valued. And he said, you know, it's not the same anymore. Just in the last few years. He said, I'll begin the class waiting for the argument, you know, against the hopeful view of progress. And none of the students think that anymore. <laughs> Just in the last few years. There's been a death of that, like a death of hope. 
a death of expectation, a death of like joy, a sense a death of, a death of idealism or, or some future hope. It's gone. He said, it's funny. He said, I get there. And I was, he said, the first time I did it, I was expecting the, you know, the debate and, and everybody's sitting there going, nodding, going, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that simply is a cultural artifact. It's not necessarily true. And he said he's seen that and, and, he, and he was observing it. He, he, was, he was speculating that COVID and politics and things like that had left people, really, left his, the, his younger folks really wondering. But I was wondering, you know, I was listening to that, and I even said to him, my, my son doesn't really follow Christ uh, right now, uh, but, but I can't help but one, have a new hope in this hopelessness. I don't know why, something about it just scratches at me. A little scratches at me, like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a, wait a second. Are they figuring out that this is a sham? <laughs> this is, that what our culture has hoped for and preached and wanted and, and sought isn't really going to pay off? Have they finally figured that out? I wonder, I wonder. But I do know that a lack of hope is going to drive people to find it somewhere, look for it somewhere. And then I was like, all right, I'm great. I'm going to speak. I'm going to preach on it. And it was funny. It was one of those things where I literally wrote the, wrote the outline up, I don't know, 15 minutes. I just like wrote up, and I was kind of excited. I put it in my hands. I was like, I'll get back to that. And then I began to dread. I began to dread studying this. I don't know why. It just, I just, there are certain things as a preacher, um, you know, you would think that I would just, I would just love God's word so much that I, wouldn't, I couldn't wait to... I'm just not like that. I'm too sinful, too wretched, too perverted in my head, too wrong. Too wrong up here. And what I realized was that Christian hope doesn't radiate to me. I don't know why. Something about it doesn't sound suasive or powerful or meaningful. And I, and I kept thinking, I was thinking about Natalie's suffering. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be up here and tell you about hope. My dad made a wonderful observation to me years ago that, that Christian hope is not a hope so, because that's the hopes of the world, but it's a hope in. It's very different. But even that, something about it, something about it wasn't, doesn't have power with me. I couldn't figure, and I know something's wrong with me. I, I don't think anything's wrong with the scripture. I don't think anything's wrong with the word of God or what God has said. Something is wrong with me. And I guess what I was excited about was, we're praying that the eyes of our hearts are being opened and enlightened. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is answering that prayer for me. And I saw something here that I, I had never seen before. And, I, and I, at first I heard it from a sermon by Barnhouse. I was kind of like, something clicked in it. And then I went into the study of these words and these ideas biblically. And I realized I had no idea what biblical hope was. No, no, no. Not at all, because I was so informed by my culture. In fact, it's kind of funny, if you, uh, if you look, you've heard the expression, hope is not a strategy. Well, it certainly isn't, not according to what hope in the world is. The Oxford English Dictionary has a, has a, very, beautiful, a very beautiful definition for it. So let me read it to you, it's really clear, and, and, and it gives you an idea. Hope is to entertain expectation of something desired. To entertain expectation of something desired. That's interesting. There's a set, there's four, you know there's always a bunch of definitions? There's three more of them, and they're all obsolete. It all says obsolete next to it. Archaism, obsolete. You know what they are? Hope has confidence and certainty of things to come. 
Like, that's the obsolete. Nobody, nobody thinks that when they use the word hope anymore. And it even says, see biblical reference. <laughs> like, there's, like, there's no... And I was listening to this idea, this idea that, well, of course hope couldn't be a strategy. I remember seeing that slogan on some, somewhere, some, somewhere in, a, in some self-help manual or something. And what I, what I started to look was I was looking at these words, hope. And guess what? Hope, it, it's a classic biblical translation problem. I mean, it's a translation problem. What am I talking about? Well, the Greek word for hope is the same as the American, as the English one. It's the same kind of meaning. It's an aspirational kind of, it's a dispositional description of something, maybe like a, a feeling you have of confidence or, or a, just kind of hopeful. Like you're any hope, like, yeah, oh, I hope so, I hope so. And the ancients talked about the power and the failures of such hopes and the deceptions of them. The ancients knew all about this. But they had a problem translating the Old Testament. Yes, the Old Testament does not have a word for hope. It doesn't have one. Not like ours. It doesn't have an abstraction. It doesn't have an abstraction. In fact, the word hope, over and over again, repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, is actually the word to wait. To wait. Just wait for something. Is to hope for. And I remember just kind of, I, I, well, honestly, and this is my own, my own foolishness, my own slowness of heart, I stumbled over that. I kept going, well, wait a second, where's the, wait, that, that doesn't mean, and I, I'm doing my research, I'm going through the theological word book, I'm going through, and, and, I, and I found it, I find it, it was found it, finding it in the Greek, in the Greek analysis, and, and, these, and the theological dictionary of the New Testament, hardly a conservative document by any stretch. And he was observing that the Greeks could not translate the Hebrew word. Because the Hebrew word was full of, it was active. It was, it, was, it was just like you're just waiting. Like you're waiting for a what? Or you're waiting for the sun to rise. Or you're, it's waiting for something you are sure will happen. And I realized I haven't known what hope was at all. <laughs> and in fact, in fact, in fact, get this. Peter, Paul, these, these men... These men, these writers of the New Testament, were Hebrews. They were Jews. And their concept of hope, they try to fill it in for us. They try to backfill it. But they're thinking very biblically, very Old Testament, about hope. So what I, what I want to share, what I want to, my heart just started to feed on this. I can't tell you, it's like a joy. I kept thinking, well, of course, that, you know, that's how you could hope when all hope is gone. Because all you're doing is waiting. There's a waiting, and it's an anticipation that God will act. I just like, oh, oh but that's, 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 that's hot. That's, that means something. That, that draws me in. That makes me want to understand it. It makes me want to sink my teeth into the scriptures. You know, I told this this morning. The rabbis said that, the rabbis always taught that we're all going to speak Hebrew in heaven. And I think this is an argument for why. So you might as well start learning your Hebrew now, just so you have something to say when you're there. But the Hebrew word only and always means to wait. You know, I just something about that. I, I don't know. It's just you know, you know the parallel here is remember we looked at eudokia, the mere good pleasure of God. The same problem. There was no word in Greek 
for the idea of a God who took a mere pleasure in his eternity. Oh, how exciting, how thrilling. But no wonder when, when, when we define in English that waiting is merely wishful expectation for stuff you really want to have, <laughs> for more stuff that you want. No wonder hope's not a strategy. And it seemed to me that hope should be, and I, and I really felt like Jesus showed me something. And that's, all I, that's what I want to share with you tonight. So the hope, what is the scripture's meaning? This is my thesis. This is how I want to describe this. Hope is faith forward focused on God's faithful fulfillment of his every promise in every detail of our lives so that we, by the Spirit, are waiting, watching, and worshiping. Let me read that again so you can hear it. You can hear it in your hearts. Hearts, hearts, uh, core. Hope is faith forward focused. I'm sorry, hope is faith forward focused on God's faithful fulfillment. You know, you got a preachers in our alliteration. Come on. That's, got, that's, a good, that's a mouthful, but you can remember it. Of his every promise and every detail of our lives. And by the Holy Spirit teaching us waiting, watching, and worshiping. And this is sincerely, I, wanna, I would give thanks to you, Father, in the presence of my friends, that you would have shown this to me. And I'm still kind of reeling. I'm still, kinda, I'm still in that place where I'm kind of putting it together in my head, like, what does this mean? What is the implication here? And because, um, you know, it's really funny. I, I Hoping God is like saying, I hope this book falls. I hope gravity works. I hope in God. Same thing. It's the same thing. That's why hoping is truly, in spiritual terms, that waiting, watching, worshipful act. So what I wanted to do, very simple, I, I don't really have a very extensive outline here, but that's never stopped me before. But uh, I, was, I was hoping that God answers my prayer. And, uh, and when I say that I hope God answers my prayers, what I'm saying is I hope that gravity works today. Let's look at how we can practically work out hope in our lives. I was reminded of Hebrews 11. Faith is what? If you, what? Somebody's misquoted for me. Faith is the, uh, is the assurance of things hoped for. Confidence in things not seen. How fitting then that hope is faith forward focused on the future and God's fulfillment of his faithful promises. So uh, in that hope and in, that ho in hope tonight for your presence, Father, that those who cry out for the Holy Spirit have the hope, have a true hope, just to wait now, to watch and to worship. Let's begin. And so what I wanted to do is kind of plumbing. So my plumbing, because all of a sudden this became useful to me. And I'll take you first, first to the poets, to the poets who, who bring us into worship, who, who, who guide us into worship, who, who to, to describe to us what it is to worship. And what I'm saying is hope is a form of worship. It's the waiting, watching, worshiping of the heart. Now, why do I claim that? Uh, Psalm 130, verse 7. Hope in the Lord, O Israel. What is it? It's a call to worship. The call to hope 
It's a call to worship. And it makes sense if it's the attitude of those waiting and watching for the work of God. Isn't that sweet? That's why I hope called to, is if you're, the hope to which you're called to, is this, this is God's call to worship. We're called to hope. And that hope is that worshipful watching and waiting that our hearts are engaged in. You know, we stop here. I remember Annie Dillard having that wonderful, that wonderful description that, you know, we say things in our liturgies, and we should be, if we believe the things of our liturgies, we should have crash helmets on. Because what if that God showed up who we cried out to for mercy and presence and power? Is anybody ready? Is anybody prepared? Do any of us bring seatbelts to church and helmets? No. Maybe we should spiritually. What did you expect to happen tonight? What do we expect? Are you watching and waiting in worship for the God who is alive? The living God. <laughs> I, gosh, I, can get, I get excited about this. To me, all of a sudden, hope doesn't feel so, I don't know, flighty. You know, it doesn't feel so insubstantial. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I know, what, I know what it is to wait. We all know what it is to wait for stuff. We know what that means. And all of a sudden, like, oh, hoping becomes not some disposition of my character, some, some, some emotion I have to oomph up so I can feel like I'm hopeful today. Because I often don't feel hopeful. But I can still hope if it's that waiting, watching work of worship. The poet calls us, it's a call to worship. And here we learn. <laughs> we learn how we can start, how we can even begin. We need God to help us to wait, watch, and worship, don't we? We need God. If he's going to call us, one of the things we know about God when he calls, he gives, he, his calls effectual. Right? It's not just that he doesn't call us and say, reach this standard up here, although he is saying reach this standard. He is saying you ought to hope if you don't feel like it. Well, I think we'll see how today, tonight. But it's, so the call to is an aspirational thing, but it's also he's promising. Whenever he says he's calling, that's where God works his power. Because his word calls. And guess what? People come to life. It's the sound of his voice. You know, when, when, uh, when Jesus, when Lazarus rose from the dead, I don't know if you've ever, it's an old joke, an old pastor's joke, but you know, that when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he had to say, Lazarus, come forth, because he didn't say, Lazarus, the entire cemetery would have gotten up. That's the effectual call of God. I think that's actually a fairly true statement. So, what he calls us to, he gives us grace and the power of the Spirit and enables and quickens us. Let's cry out tonight for the work of hope. Ah, let's, I want to look. I want to look at Abraham's hope, Jeremiah's hope, Habakkuk's, Paul's, and Peter's, and let's go through, take a look at them each one, and see what we can learn. We've looked at the poet's hope. Now look at Abraham's hope. Abraham's hope was a faith-forward focused on God's faithful fulfillment, even when prayer wasn't answered. Two two writers of the New Testament observe Abraham's faith. First, Paul and Romans. Remember that he hoped against hope. And I always wonder, what is hope against hope? And then when I hear the Hebrew definition of hope, I'm like, oh, of course you're waiting when you're done, even when you're done of waiting. When, you, when waiting doesn't seem like it's working anymore. You're still waiting, watching, and worshiping. Oh, I can, I understand that. Hope against hope sounds like I was supposed to oomph up a double hope. Like I was supposed to feel something more. 
I don't know how to feel things, guys. I don't know how to feel things on command. Do you? Hey, you, feel this. Hey, you, feel that. I don't know how to do that. But I do know what waiting and watching is. Sometimes they feel good. Sometimes they feel awful. (laughs) They can still be hopeful, can't they? They can still be filled with hope. Abraham's such a great example. You know, he, he, prayer is an answer. Prayer is an answer. And, his, and promises that God made are waiting 10, 15, 20, 25 years without any hint of what the answer was. That's, how, do you, how do you sit in a place where God isn't answering you? Well, Hebrews tells us that he was looking forward to a city whose architect and builder was not. Did he ever see that city? Carol, did he ever see that city? No, he never saw that city. But his prayers were answered. His faith and his hope. Now, follow me. And I was waiting, I wonder about these things. You know, I asked myself, Father, will you, will you heal Natalie? This is somebody I love very much. Very, very you know, personal, personal question. And his answer is unequivocally and forever. Yes! Okay, will you do it in the next 24 hours? (laughs) That's my next question, right? But that's not the question that hope creates. Hope just says, I'm waiting. I'm watching. (laughs) If you do it in glory, I praise you. I praise you. You have answered my prayer. That's what Abraham said. How was he able to say that? He never saw the city. Because hope for him was a faith forward focused on the God who fulfills faithfully all of his promises. Praise him. Praise him, pious. Praise. Now I know what hope is. I'm like, oh, Okay, I can do, I can do that. I, I can, I'll, I'll hold my sister's hand and wait. We hope in the promises of God. Will this person be healed? Will their pain end? Will they be restored? Yes, yes, yes. My God is an eternal God. And I and my eyes are on eternity. Not merely this veil of tears. Praise but it gets better. Jeremiah's hope. Did anybody notice that we had like the darkest, the darkest confession we've ever had in this church? Did anybody notice this? Did anybody pay any attention? I always wonder if people read things. Lamentations. Did anybody watch that? My teeth are chewing on gravel. Has anybody had a day that bad? Yes. I think, I think Natalie's day was that bad on Tuesday. Oh, Wednesday. Yeah, it felt like it. Sitting there with her. But did you notice, oh my goodness, look, look what it says here. In verse, I, I, didn't, I didn't keep the verses here, but if you go down like five lines, therefore I say, my persevering is destroyed. It's on page seven of your bulletin. And so is my hope from the Lord. You see, if hopes of feeling or some disposition or attitude or just brute confidence, that doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense because in the, if you look on the other side of that prayer from Richard Baxter is the rest of the passage where his hope is restored. How can you have hope destroyed and still have hope intact? Oh, wait. 
Hey, I've gotten to the end of waiting and watching God's, for God's answers. I've gotten to the end of that. Haven't you ever gotten to the end of that? And found you really could wait longer. <laughs> and you thought, you thought I can, there's no way I can wait through this. There's no way this pain is waitable. It's not waitable. You can't, and then, and then you get through it and you're like, I'm still here. I still know my God. Wow. What we learn here, and we have a vision here, in this, in this biblical definition of hope is the absolute certainty of the sovereign God. Oh, my goodness. Jeremiah trembles with it in his pain. His teeth are chewing on gravel, and yet his hand is firmly locked to wait and watch and worship. Jeremiah's hope was faith-forward focused, wasn't it? Even when hope was crushed. That's why it's possible in the Christian experience to have this kind of depth with this kind of height at the same time. <laughs> or right next to each other. And I want to encourage you. There are going to be days when you're going to feel like you could never get up from where you are down. Jesus knows those days too. So did Jeremiah. All the faithful servants of the Lord know those days. And they learned to wait and watch better than they ever thought they could. Praise him. This is the work we are called to, and we can see why he needs to be the one doing it, right? <laughs> he needs to be the one doing it. This creates hope for me. <laughs> Let's go on. Habakkuk. I don't know if you know the story of Habakkuk. It's a great little book. It's a really, it's an easy read. It's real clear. It's real straightforward. Habakkuk is upset about evil. He's upset about all the bad things that happen to good people. Now, wicked men win over and over again, fat and sleek and wealthy and powerful. But Habakkuk, his faith was forward focused. You know what he says? He asks God all these questions. Questions that just make you uncomfortable. The kind of questions you hope people don't bring up in polite company. <laughs> the questions about why things are so bad. The kind of questions that everybody sits there and goes and looks at their shoes. He's asking. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm getting up in the watchtower where I work. Because he was a watchman. You know why I'm going up in the watchtower, he says? Because I was waiting to see. Oh my God, Because he lived and fed on hope, even when evil was triumphant. We can do that. Because hate, hope, true living hope by the Holy Spirit is what? It's faith with its eyes forward, focused. Focused on the God who fulfills faithfully all he promises. I see Habakkuk. <laughs> Waiting, watching, and worshiping. What will God give? <laughs> I, all of a sudden, <laughs> that comment, I think it's on one of, uh, one of your ba towels bags or something. That, that comment from the, 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 the uh, self-help gurus, hope is not a strategy, just sounds like a pile of garbage to me. Not with my God's hope. That's a strategy right there for being crushed for unanswered prayer. 
for when evil seems victorious, oh, it gets better. Paul's hope <laughs> was faith forward focused on God's faithful fulfillment of what? Of cleansing us from sin for hope in the glory of God. You know what? I never understood that. Never made any sense to me. That, that 5 2, Romans 5 2. You know, I read, you read these things, you've read them. I've got a degree, I can read in the Greek. I've got a, I'm supposed to know what these things mean. <laughs> and I'm sitting there reading it and realizing, wait a second, if Paul's talking about waiting for the glory of God, I understand that. Waiting, watching. That's his vision of the glory of God. How do you hope in glory? No, I hope in glory by waiting and watching for it, worshiping. Yes. But what's Paul talking about there? He's talking about the way hope frees us from past sin, guilt, shame. A lot of us are controlled by a lot of memories that we can't erase. Memories of wickedness, memories of folly, memories of terrible decisions that wounded people, memories of our own crimes, of our own brokenness. And they haunt us, they hunt us, and they terrify us. How do you live with that? You know, Paul, Paul knew this. Paul will forever see forever see Stephen pray and die. Think I could ever get that out of his head? Think he could ever get it out of his head? When he found out that Jesus was real, he must have. Ah. But he was hoping for the glory of God. His eyes were waiting, watching for that. And that's a freedom in, 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 uh, in, in Romans 5. Of course, it all makes sense now. That hope does this not disappoint? What does he say? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory. Of course we do. Because that's what we're looking, watching, and waiting for. To become real in us, in our, our church, in our lives. It gets better. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How can you possibly... It finally makes sense. Of course you can if you're waiting for something better that you know is coming. You need never doubt. You need never doubt. Not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Character produces the ability to wait and watch and worship, and waiting and watching and worship never puts us to shame, does it? Never does. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. And what this idea of hope for the glory of God does is it frees me up to not be haunted by guilt and shame. Paul always says, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward. Of course he does. Because that's the waiting, watching, worshipful heart of hope. And I want that hope, don't you? And then finally, I would say, and then we'll wrap up with this, is First Peter. <laughs> first Peter then five. First Peter, of course, wants to take it even further because it's a living hope for first for Peter. <laughs> and I love that. Living hope, of course. And of course, a living hope, when we now we know what hope is, we're like, oh, of course, it's a living waiting. It's a it's an act, you know, sometimes we can be, look, I, I don't know a Christian in this world who doesn't love the idea of not having to do something. Oh, wait, maybe I can just wait around for God to show up. Oh, that sounds great. Chris told me I can just wait and do nothing. I know somewhere in our hearts, somewhere in our sinful souls, we'll hear that and we'll go, oh, that waiting, watching, worshiping thing sounds great for me. <laughs> I don't have to do anything. No, there's nothing passive about this. Nothing passive about it at all. 
And in fact, in Paul, we know the living God and the hope to which you're called to. Is, it's vibrant. It's alive. God's alive. God is not a dead letter of sovereignty. His choices are living, and so are ours. And this idea of a God is alive and living hope to which you're called. Listen to what Peter says then. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your help fully on the grace that is, will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And I realized, of course. And he was telling us, I observed several things here, and we'll be done. Because this idea of hope being a watchful, waiting worship, that's active. That's what we were doing tonight. That's what we come together. That, that, we are engaging in that active waiting and watching of worship just by coming to worship. By, by the way we celebrate communion, why we, why we lay hold of Jesus, and the way we hold all these things again and again. Prepare your minds for action. I almost get the sense, too, that Peter's saying, if you're truly in the place of a living hope, that watchful, waiting worship, then when I mean, you bump into somebody and you have a chance to share the gospel, you're able to do it. You're able to act because that's what that posture of hope does. It creates the energy and life for action. I love the next line he says, being sober-minded. Mm, I hear that. My heart's cooler. I don't like waiting. And I'm a coward when it comes to suffering. I'd rather, rather get a beer. Maybe two. Maybe three. So I don't have to feel anything. It's interesting to me that being sober-minded is pitted right there against hope. Because, you see, the desire to not be sober is so powerful. To get high, to, get, to not feel, to drink more wine. And, to take these, and I believe, believe me, I think alcohol is a great gift from the Lord. Until it isn't. Amen? <laughs> until, until it isn't, and we are loving it for ourselves. Until it isn't, and it's a substitute for the watchful, waiting hopefulness. You see, the watchful, waiting worship. And I, I, I am ashamed of myself because I constantly want to get away from suffering. I constantly want to find a back door out because I hate to suffer. I'm a coward. <laughs> and then God's here calling me. He's calling us to this Beautiful, waiting, watchfulness. And then finally, don't be conformed to the image. I hear from, I hear in Peter here that this is the kind of hope that helps you give up sin. Because if you're waiting and watching for the coming and answer that you know is real from the living God, then what is being conformed to your sinful passions worth? <laughs> it's, just, it's just going to sabotage that entire process. You can't wait and watch with worship if you're doing a little something-something. <laughs> if you're something-something, it's, it's, it's so opposite. And all of a sudden, hope is not a strategy anymore. Hope is not an abstraction, I mean. Hope seems to be a... a hope seems to be a... My only strategy. It's the only strategy I've got, guys. For our church, for myself, for my marriage, for you, for San Francisco. 
It's the only strategy I've got. And I praise God for it. Praise and thank you for it. Let's pray. <laughs> oh, Father. Would you teach us how to hope well? <laughs> how to, would you give us the Holy Spirit? That's what Paul asked for, that spirit, the Spirit, you, Spirit of wisdom and revelation, come. Holy Spirit, come. And, and teach us the watching, the watching, wakeful worship of the psalmist. That waiting, watchful worship that Abraham did when his prayers were unanswered, he never saw the city, but he acted as if it was real, because it is. I asked for Jeremiah's ability to have faith that's so focused forward when uh, his hopes were crushed. I want Habakkuk's eagerness on the watchtower when evil seems to have won the day. I want Peter's Peter's living hope and Paul's hope that would free me from a past of sin and, and all guilt. Holy Spirit, do this work, I pray, in, in your servant, me, your servant, all your sons and daughters in this room and beyond. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.